Welcome to the first of hopefully many episodes of Industry Insight with me, Joe Meredith. Um, I am pleased to be joined by uh, my first guest on this, Saad, uh, owner of Level 99. Uh, welcome, Saad. You are in Dubai at the moment, is that right? I am indeed, yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. Not at all, not at all. Thank you for joining us. What time are you over there? It is my laptop still on London time, so I've got a 7.30 here. Um, okay. Just enjoying the pitch black night. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> so listen, um, let's get straight into it. Uh, a lot of people who engage with us won't necessarily have as much experience uh, with esports as you do. But can you can you give me a little insight uh, on Level 99? What does Level 99 yeah. do? Who do you do it for? And how did it come about? Yeah, that seems like an ongoing journey. Um, yeah, so Level 99, um, I kicked off Level 99 about, it's been about six years now. Um, it's essentially a creative and content house. Um, recently, I've figured out that the, the better tagline is community builders. So most of the time, we're hired by brands, uh, ambiguous there, but brands to build out their communities people who play games um, competitively or people who play a lot of games um, make for um, sort of decent customers and fans um, at the same time. So most of the time we're brought in to create content that will both engage um, those fans and those customers more deeply for these brands. Um, and so in a nutshell, we've worked with folks like Red Bull building out, you know, their gaming presence. Um, we've, Founded an esport team, which we'll touch on that at one point. We helped found a team that's gone on to um, win a lot of money. Obviously, we had nothing to do with them winning the money, but um, we helped found them. Um, and we've also worked with sort of traditional sports teams and leagues um, that have gotten got into esports and gaming to make it easier for them to reach sort of esports and gaming fans. So a bad elevator pitch here. I'm going to work on that one. But um, yeah, that's us for now. No, I like it. So how, how did it come about? Because your background, looking into your background, uh, started off in a financial mm. sector. Is that right? How, how do you jump yeah. from the financial sector to esports creative agency? Yeah, I thought I'd, mm, thought I'd buried that. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, um, I did a degree in, um, <clears throat> in finance. I did a major with the degree was management. Still don't have a clue what that means, but um, I did a degree in management that came with sort of finance and accounting and economics. Um, I was kind of reaching for straws, I think, with my degree, but I um, ended up working in a bank. Um, unfortunately, it was a year that the <laughs> economic crisis struck. Uh, 2009 is when I graduated. I went to university in uh, Vancouver, uh, West Coast, Canada. Um, and I was like, I want to work at a bank. Um, I think that that's a traditional career path for a lot of um, maybe politically sensitive, but a lot of people like me um, who, once you get out of where you you know grow up, you kind of look at the jobs that make you money. Um, to be to be real, that's what it was. I had no idea what bankers did. To be frank, I just thought this is I got this degree and now I'm going to make some money with it. Um, I did it for about four years. It was it started interestingly <laughs> completely opposite to what I had 
anticipated it to be, and it just got worse over time. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think it was a bad experience because I don't think I'd be here without it. But there wasn't, I didn't feel particularly fulfilled um, with the banking side. Um, I think it gave me insight because I worked in on the commercial side of banks. It gave me insight into how small and medium-sized businesses sort of operate and the challenges they face, without a doubt. Um, the politics and everything that comes around comes along with being at a bank where um, I think for somebody like me, a bit challenging to deal with. Um, so at one point, I grew up playing a lot of video games. Um, I, I think that goes for a lot of guys um, around my age, right? We kind of were really lucky to get kind of an advancement in games. And I grew up um, being suspended from schools because I'd go out and play Counter-Strike um, at land centers. Um, so you could say that I was fairly addicted to games. Um, and I think once I'd left the bank, I was like, hmm, what do I do now that I've decided to leave the bank? I think I'll play lots of games. Um, and eventually, you know, kind of dug into the space. Um, esports was very young and this is about 20, 2012. Esports was still growing. I mean, it was, it's been around for a while, right? But um, reached out to a couple of people. Um, I'd followed the industry loosely as I grew up and watched a lot of games, competitive games. Um, reached out to a team based in London called Fnatic um, and just applied for a job out there and got the job. And um, that was 2013. And here I am. Um, eight years later, still playing games. So, yeah. So, so it started. I mean, if you were to kind of take that leap of faith within the last year, people would kind of go, yeah, sensible career choice. That makes sense. But mm. back in 2012, I mean, what was the reaction when you were kind of like, look, I'm not going to work mm. in a bank anymore. I'm just going to play oh. games for the rest of my life. <laughs> when you say it like that, I'm even wondering whether it was a good decision now. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, it was, I think I've, I've, I've been really lucky. My dad, my mom as well, who I, I kind of try to get advice from all the time. They didn't, um, they didn't really compel me into one particular path. Um, and so they were like, I think it would, they were surprised because there was a, yeah, because I was suspended from schools for enough because I'd go out to these land centers to play Counter-Strike. I think when I then told them that I was going to a place where I would be playing Counter-Strike, um, the initial reaction was like, what, well, how is this happening? Um, what are you doing? Um, but they were, you know, they they just weren't very traditional, you know, with that in, in that sense. So they were like, if that's what makes you happy, go for it. Um, people in my life were, I think, more critical back then. My family didn't really... They were just like, are you happy? Yeah, go for it. Friends of mine were just, yeah. I think the friends, um, like, what are you doing? Games, you can work and play games, you know? Um, you don't need to, to do either. Um, so, yeah, mixed reaction. But, yeah, I've, I've been really lucky. Like, I think my parents would just, like, go out and do the thing, even if it doesn't make you much money or, if it, like, if you feel good about it, go and do it. Um, so yeah, made some people unhappy along the way, but that's, that's how it works, right? So exactly, no still regrets. Here. Yeah, no regrets. Still here, man. 
Yeah. And I think usually you find that the kind of the the businesses that tend to have that success are driven by the people who have that passion for the industry, that sector. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I've met back then even I met people who, you know, when you go to work at a bank, and this is nothing against people who still work at banks, by the way, we all need them. So if somebody's watching this and work at the bank that I have my account with, I, I really like banks. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, when you go from a job where you think of it as this is a place I work to mm-hmm. this is a thing that I would do if I wasn't paid for it, you know, um, that changes the type of people that you interact with, you know. And so when I got to the space for the first time, I just rem- I just remember meeting so many people who just had that. You know, it was sort of instinctive to them to talk about what they loved rather than looking at it as like, "Ah, yeah, this is a this is a work chat. But then it was just this is what I love. So that kind of energy being around that was now I think back like that had a lot to do with me sticking around, you know, Um, always, you know, I'm sure you've had somewhat of a similar experience right? when you're around people who've got that energy you can just tell it just makes work less work right 100 um, yeah. so and yeah, it, uh, it's i think it's like it's the the people so for me like obviously i had limited skill sets i think kind of uh in the industry yeah i could take some photos i shoot some video creatively i got a little bit as well but i think where i get my most satisfaction is watching the people i work with grow develop and their creativity you can just bounce so much off of that and 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 ultimately, at the end of it, you can take full credit for it as well. So it's great. <laughs> These are the deleted scenes here, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, I'm really open about it. Uh, I tell you what's interesting though. It's like, and often this question raises it head quite a lot. Um, obviously, both similar situations. Um, married, young children. How do you going your career, your business, being your passion? How are you separating that now? How are you separating work and life? Um, Maybe we should ask your ooh. wife as opposed to you. Yeah, that's uh, that's, um, that's definitely for the, the outtakes, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is gonna be real. Um, yeah, I'm. When I think of how I'm balancing things, I think that you know you kind of, at least for me, you kind of have to sacrifice something if you want to do both of those well, you know, and well is subjective in this case. Like, um, I think for me, it's my kid is just, yeah, it's, it's having to changed a lot of things in my life. Um, because I was always on the go I mean, because the industry is so global, you know, in nature, like events and uh, meeting people out and about around the world was kind of the norm, you know? So there are times where I'd be gone, like I'd say 70 or 80% of the year, you know, um, so away from home. So my wife was probably used to me not being around, perhaps arguably in that interview would tell you that she probably liked it. But um, with my kid, I think it's, you know, I try and spend time with her during the day and then I work. And not, I don't think this is a necessity. I think it's just what I've kind of gotten used to. I then work at night until the morning, um, about 7 or 8 a.m., um, sometimes later. 
this is not something that I want to be doing for a, a long time, but I don't feel like it's, you know, like going off of what I said before, I don't feel like I'm, you know, it's not a, I don't feel like it's a job. It is work that sometimes is a pain in the ass because you've got to do stuff. Um, you can't always celebrate the amazing stuff people are, are working on. Sometimes you've got to, you know, sit back and troubleshoot um, and do the boring shit, to be frank. Um, I still, whilst I work in a bank, I'm still not a fan of spreadsheets, but I've kind of learned to, learned to love them um, the hard way. So I do then work throughout the night and then I sleep generally during the morning for a couple hours. I try to get a, somewhat of a decent sleep in. And then I rinse repeat that. Um, unless there's something really pressing that needs both the 10 hours I get at night plus the hours during the day, I will try and balance it that way. Um, and it's it seems to work um, unless there's meetings. I try to avoid having too many meetings during the day. Um, or I try to avoid having meetings in general. But um, yeah, Sorry about that. This is a great one. <laughs> this is a great one. Um, I, I think I just want to be spending as much of my time doing you know like actually doing stuff um yeah you know you know you've uh, we've talked about i'm pretty sure we've talked about this at one point that um the balance is a is a constant quest i think man you yeah know, i don't know what balance looks like i don't how, you work during the day and then you you manage to balance it out until the evening or like how does it pan out for you because i know everyone's trying to still figure this thing out while running uh the business right it's i don't know it's interesting and that's the the one thing i i have always tried to get is the balance right i think i always mm. look for the last since the age of like 20 i was working weekends as well because i was working as a sports photographer and as the kind of business grew i was doing both and it's like well i've got to sacrifice You're one thing um so i'm uh, you know weekends now are just weekends of my time with my family and that is it that's so right. I, like it's it's taken me taken me nearly 20 years to switch off on a weekend yeah yeah, and not even not even be interested in what's going on. Um, do you yeah, know what I mean? So I'm it, like, it's a it's a quest, man. Yeah, hundred percent. I think I've met so many people. I think that's also one of the one of the downsides. But like, that's also one of the when it is something you love and that you know is something you want to be doing as often as possible. You end up in that loop, you know. Where if you're not, where if you're not working on something. You think, ah, oh, but I could be working on that thing, um, and I think if you figure it out in twenty, I mean, I, I, I meet a lot of people looking at myself in the mirror at the moment, but like a lot of people who haven't yet figured that out, you know. So, yeah. working progress. It's like it's it's the the one for me that did it. It's like uh, my youngest, like she just started talking. So I'm like, so I'm on my phone just checking stuff all the time, like uh, whether yeah, it's project yeah, management, emails and stuff like that. And I'm kind of reading a story and then something popped up on my phone. She's like, no phone, daddy. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I love it. This is yeah. terrible, right? Like, I'm so sorry. It's, but that's so that's the way. The, yeah. That's the way, man. That's the, they, they, I think if you are left to your own devices, you will keep on going, right? Like you'll yeah, keep on working on that thing. And if you get... How many people can tell you to stop working and you pay attention? If, oh, yeah, absolutely. When you're a kid, you know, like yeah. it's just, yeah, yeah. The same thing here. So, so listen, back back on to, because we deviated a little bit there, and I think our yeah. wives will listen to it and go, they haven't got the balance, right? This is she nonsense. Thinks, 
give me a look out, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so look, esports. Uh, at what point do you think? Do you think there was a a time frame or a point where esports became kind of such a commercial enterprise rather than just fun? Mm, um, just so, just an opinion for me. I so when I was growing up um, in the early so 2001 to around two, the year 2000 i think um was when um counter-strike and counter-strike for me defined um a lot of what esports is alongside starcraft i think starcraft was definitely those who were listening to the starcraft as a game <laughs> that was um published by activision lizard uh, but also made call of duty uh, well activision was yes um Esports has been around for a while, and I think in terms of like it popping off commercially, it's kind of still in it. I'd say it's still in its infant, you know, phase. But it became, you know, and there are a lot of people in this space, far more experienced and tenured, and who will probably have different opinions on this. But I think that esports has kind of done a like a world tour. You know, where out in China and Korea, in Korea definitely, there's been very early acceptance culturally for people who play games. And I think that's the first step for a lot of places. It is once you get the internet in place, it's good enough to compete with other people online. Um, it is how acceptable is it? Um, growing up in the Middle East, it was not acceptable to be playing video games at home against other people online when you should be doing your doing your work you know um or studying or learning how to play the piano i mean i didn't do that but it you know stuff like that um so it started in asia i'd say and it picked up by the by early the early 2000s it had picked up pace and then counter-strike i think really accelerated esports to a or competitive esports is essentially just competitive video gaming right um, it's a sort of section of the player base of a particular game that play the game a lot competitively. Counter-Strike picked up in the early to late 2000s, and there were million-dollar-plus tournaments. It was a very well-known circuit called the CPL um, that did you know, million-dollar-plus tournaments that I used to watch growing up. Um, so it picked up pace then in the West, so primarily Europe, uh, with Sweden being kind of like the kings of um, Counter-Strike for a long time. And then in the U.S., I think when the U.S. and Europe kind of, you know, started to accelerate, um, that's when the commercial side started to pick up. So late 2000s, there was even a franchise league back in the day, um, which didn't work out. It was, I believe, owned by DirecTV. So early days, people tried to, you know, early 2000s, people tried to commercialize esports and take this kind of young, predominantly male audience um, and get them in front of brands um, through games. And it wasn't until I would say about 2010 and as of 2011, where teams, rights holders in the space, the teams, you know, um, started to should have paid is not much the time, but in some cases they were started to be able to pay, including for games like World of Warcraft, started to be able to pay players 
real salaries, you know? So I'd say post 2012, sorry, 2010, that picked up pace to the point where by the time we hit 2012, 13, it would be um, <clears throat> Counter-Strike still growing and League of Legends came into the space. Um, they were then, you know, not popularly, but not widespread, but there were million dollar contracts for players. Um, there were brands who now realize that, um, hey, we did some stuff with gaming in the past, um, but this is the hardcore segment um, of that gaming audience. And they're tuned in and they watch a lot of games. And I think that one of the biggest turning points was, I need to, yeah, I'm not a historian, but I need to remember that the year that Twitch launched, Twitch, I think, changed the game for esports in a massive way. It made, it made, essentially, for those who don't know, Twitch is a viewing, um, sort of a broad, it allows you to become a broadcaster. Um, it democratizes sort of like the broadcast opportunities. So you can just log on to Twitch. So now it was bought by Amazon a couple of years ago um, for just shy of a billion dollars. But Twitch made it easy for people to broadcast video games and for viewers to tune in. And I think that's where the, you know, the commercial side started to make a little bit more sense because they were, there was inventory to sell, right? both for Twitch as a platform, for the uh, broadcasters themselves. And then, of course, brands that were looking in going, oh, okay, so this is, I can kind of compare this to traditional TV in some way. Um, and I think it became a little bit more accepted um, with Twitch coming up, at least on the commercial side, which is what you asked, right? Um, yeah. And where it is today, it's it's growing. It's, it's definitely a lot that's happened. It's sort of a buzzword now, right? I see a lot of people who are esports experts. Especially in the last 18 months, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. I think as, as soon as yeah. kind of uh, lockdown hit, first lockdown, every content creator was moving towards esports, weren't they? Yeah, um, yeah. Like I, of, I was reaching out, son, how do we create esports content? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, but I think that a lot of sports, you know, when, who would have thought that sports would just not collapse, but just like not be around every yeah. day where, you know what I mean? Where like you could just throw on, like throw on the TV or throw on a, a stream and watch a game, like whatever sport yeah. that may be, that might be. Um, I think that because the sports business is so big, I think that kind of turned people's gaze to this thing that had the word sport in it yeah. and um, was still being done. Um, and it was like, Ah, yeah. So the attention for esports—it's yet to be, you know, in terms of a consensus, like how much COVID has impacted the space. I would say that it's still—it still hit esports hard. Um, you know, we didn't escape the pandemic by any means, but like the attention that people have paid to esports has definitely yeah. massively increased, man. And you might—you've seen that, right? Like in this last. Uh, couple months year alone a lot more eyeballs um, are on esports so you you talked about twitch and obviously how people are consuming those uh kind of consuming the esports gaming do you do you think it's ever um anything that will move to mainstream tv or do you think consumers will move towards twitch um i don't i mean twitch is just one of the twitch is obviously um a platform. now you're right it's a a a platform youtube has kind of been their go-to place for anyone who wants to watch um you know user-generated content and so youtube have gotten into the streaming 
space as well. Um, I think they, they're definitely giving Twitch a run for their money. And it may be that the platform that kind of ends up, you know, in pole position, um, both because of the people they've got there um, and also the fact that YouTube just has a bigger distribution, right? Like people just know YouTube. Um, I'm trying to think, you asked specifically about which of the just whether we'll ever hit whether whether uh, kind of the consumption of esports events um, kind of competitions uh, will ever hit mainstream TV. Um, I mean, they already have. So the uh, E League, which was run by uh, Turner in the US, was on cable. Um, a Counter Strike event was already on cable, and, and this is you know even the Overwatch League, which is a Activision Blizzard league. Um, has been on TV. So the TV, I think that a lot of people who I deeply respect in the space probably agree with this. I think that TV is a dying medium. Um, I think that most of us, you know, you, I, how often do you sit in front of a TV and you've got your phone in your hand um, and you're watching or checking something else out, right? Um, I have this. I, I have think, this argument with my wife all the time. She's like, "Why are you watching TV it, and on your phone?" It's like, "Look, you consume content how you want. I'll consume it right. how I want." It's it, just the way it is now, right? Yeah, it, it is. I literally saw a um, like a TikTok the other day, show which showed like a dad and his kid, and, and I think it was kind of like when you buy a seventy or sixty-five inch TV to watch the game, and it's like a dad and his kid sitting on the couch watching it on yeah. their phone and it, it, it's on the TV in front of them. So um, I think that TV will still be around without a doubt, but I think that TV is learning from what esports is doing. That's one of perhaps one of the best things, best things to come out of esports is that this is an, a very interactive, at least they're trying, you know, or pushing towards this. Esports is a very in, interactive kind of broadcast experience, you know? It isn't linear like TV. Um, there's so much more you can do um, through, you know, by being online as compared to sort of the linear TV experience. So I think that at least what I'm seeing, at least in the US, this is happening a fair bit. A lot of linear TV networks are either investing in or are kind of learning from what esports is doing, you know, and they're going like, how do they make a broadcast more engaging. I mean, just recently I saw a, for the Super Bowl, I think it was, I don't remember who it was, perhaps it was Comcast, I can't remember now, but a, um, could be Verizon. Anyhow, um, somebody built up, Rand had built out an entire, um, the entire stadium, the Super Bowl stadium inside Fortnite, obviously a popular game. And it was an experience that was bundled with the Super Bowl. So a lot of people who didn't watch the Super Bowl were going into this Fortnite um, creative mode where they had recreated the entire Super Bowl experience and the numbers were ridiculous. So I, I, in terms of what they expected. So I think TV is kind of taking a page out of the eSport play, playbook, you know? And I think for a lot of people in this space, obviously this may be a little bit of and me sharing others' opinions as well. But for a lot of people in this space, they're looking at TV as a sort of a dinosaur, you know, and they're going, perhaps over time, TV, I mean, ask yourself, man, when you sit down in front of the TV, for the boomers amongst us, um, do you 
Do you watch? Did you Netflix, just call me a boomer Amazon? then? <laughs> I had to get it in before we go. But I'm step by. I'm staring at one myself. I'm, I'm, I think I'm squarely in that group for now as well, man. Um, when you sit down to watch TV, you're watching, you're turning on Netflix or Amazon yep. or or YouTube or like it, we're not even tuning into those programmatic yeah, those live channels right? anymore. No, and if you do, right? it's recorded. I mean, I guess the only live thing I watch now is sports. That's it. That, that's that exactly that. And so, same here. By the way, um, I I tune into the NBA, and that's and even now, like I in most cases we'll record it and try unless it's a big game, uh, we'll try and record and watch it. Or I know I'll find it in an archive on one of the channels. So we can already see that like that kind of experience that TV viewing experience is changing. So esports has been on TV, but I think the the play for esports is. Well, how will TV, how will esports help level up what people in traditional broadcasting are doing? Um, and how can they learn from that? I think that's one of the coolest things to come out of esports, um, just an opinion. And I know there are others who are more, who spend more time on the broadcast side, would you know, chew your ear off on this. But it um, seems like that's the direction things are going, man. So you, you talked at the beginning about kind of um level 99 being a community builder for brands so you know when i was a kid um back in the uh kind of (laughs) games were produced and people wanted to just consume a game they're like right all i want is this game i want to buy this game and the game makers or publishers were making those games for that purpose Mm. has their purpose changed because ultimately you talk about building a community Mm. um and building a network of players when someone's creating a game now or kind of redefining a game is their mindset not about that game being purchased but ultimately how many gamers they can consume or how many communities they can reach out to um i think it's still so it's still it's not the type of purchase has changed i think that's primarily what's happened so same for me growing up i used to buy games um and buying a game was a almost even on the Game Boy, it was a celebratory moment because it wasn't something that it was, it was expensive, you know? Mm-hmm. You couldn't just pick one up for a dollar. Like, now I can, you know, go to that in a moment, but like I can get a game for next to nothing. Um, the, the means by which game publishers have changed or evolved um, to deal with a, a, a different consumer is a big part of why esports is where it is today and how uh, how it's become more widespread. So the model for these publishers growing up, for us when we were growing up, was that they built a game, um, they sorry, they developed a game that was passed on to a publishing house, a game publisher, or in some cases it would be the same place. And they'd sell that retail and that's how they make their money, right? Um, World of Warcraft kind of came in years down the line and offered a subscription model um, and that proved to be very successful for them. Now, I think in the last 10, just over 10 years, the majority of games today, not all, of course, but the majority of games are free to play. They're not, that you don't pay for them. So Fortnite is free. A lot of people have heard of Fortnite, right? Fortnite is free. Um, Counter-Strike, the game I paid every, for every time I'd buy a new copy was and is now become free. Um, a lot of these games that have been rolled out, you know, 
today are free. I mean, there are some exceptions, right? Like you still have to buy Call of Duty, but Call of Duty has created a sort of a battle royale game called Warzone that is free. And so the models changed whereby community is more important, if not equally important to publishers um, than it, uh, as it once was. And by that, I mean, it, ideally you want to create the lowest level of friction for somebody to kind of have this experience of playing your game, right? So the, the change has been, rather than looking at your game as like, and by the way, there's still retail games. You know, there is a big market for retail games, but as far as esports goes, um, you want as many people to be able to play the game as often as possible. And having a paywall means that fewer people commit to playing a game for the first time because they've got to pay for it, right? So you make that game free, now you've got a bunch of people who are likely to join to get into the game once they're committed enough and this is where making the game really good over time and serving that community is so important for publishers and they do it so well so many of them do it so well a handful do it really well um once you've committed enough time to that game the majority of transactions that come out of the game are micro transactions um, following kind of like the mobile um, app model that we've kind of gotten used to, right? So you'd go into the game and you'd buy a hat or you'd buy a skin for a character. Fortnite does this incredibly well. Like, right, a lot of games do this incredibly well. League of Legends, Counter-Strike is doing a great job with it. Um, you buy, you spend a dollar or 50 cents, or $2, sometimes $20, whatever it may be. And you buy these items in the game. And in some cases, you can look this up. I think we're talking billions of dollars are spent in one game on these microtransactions for a game that's free. Um, what's come out of that, which is amazing, is our, our open markets where you can buy and sell, in some cases, these items um, online. And you can Google this, whoever's listening to Google this, and you get a moment. Some of these items have gone on a market for tens, twenty thousands of dollars, eighty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars for an in-game item, like a skin on a gun um, in a game um, has been sold in a marketplace and somebody's bought it for that much. So they're creating marketplaces within each of these games. And so for competitive games, you then don't look to create another version. Call of Duty is unique when it comes to this, but you then just continue updating the game for that community so that it becomes more compelling to play the game. You update it over time. And so the, the publisher commits to updating it. So you, if you play Counter-Strike, I've been playing the same, obviously the same title, but I've been in love with Counter-Strike for, what's it been like 2000, 20 years, 19, 18 years, you know? Um, there, there've been revised versions of that game, but ultimately because of the format of the game and it's staying somewhat the same, uh, they no longer have to charge me to buy the game because I'll spend, and people will spend significant amount, significant amounts of money in the game. The more committed they are to the game, right? So the models changed massively um, over the last couple of years. Do you see? Do you see any concerns with the kind of the growth of the in-game purchases, though? Because ultimately, if if someone sees uh, short-term success by spending yeah. lots of money, and this is yeah. a fourteen-year-old at home spending. Yeah. X, Y, and Z, and then it becomes an yeah. addiction, and then does it lead to something else? So, there, uh, do you see any fears with that? 
oh, there's there's a lot. There's that's you know, there's a lot of good that's come from it. And by that I mean, you know, by by being by publishers being able to monetize through these microtransactions, they kind of allow people to decide what they spend their money on within the game. So you don't have to buy something if you don't want to. But it's kind of like um, for those who are used to tuning their cars or, you know, buying things that look good. Um, <clears throat> you might buy a, give an example, in Dubai, <laughs> still, still, this one still gets me, in Dubai, you could, there are people who buy cars, which I have no idea what they cost, but cars that look good. Um, and they cruise by with a number plate. <clears throat> And let's say the number plate is, it starts with a, a letter and then ends with a couple of numbers. So kind of like customized number plates, right? But it's the, but they're number driven. So if somebody cruises by with a number plate, it says B1988, for example. That number plate will cost 10 times more than the car. Um, and so you're, or you're spending more money on the um, accessory. Um, than you are on the actual thing itself. It's in good games. And that's because people recognize that you have something of value on the street, right? Like you cruise by and they're like, oh, look at that number plate. Um, that's the thing here. And in, the, in a game, it's the same thing where everybody knows the game is free, but when you walk by with an item that is, you know, rare, ultra rare, and it's, you know, it's kind of like that in-game bling, you know? Um, so... Is there, so, is there some, there's an upside to that. Obviously you can be who you want to be in a game. That's one of the things that makes gaming so appealing. The dangers, the dangers are that um, esports, driven by esports, um, it, it has kind of created this very unregulated, like black market betting space where, remember these items hold value, right? because there's a marketplace. So when you bet now, you don't need to bet cash, you can bet these items, right? And this has happened all across uh, Counter-Strike and in, in other games to a degree, but in Counter-Strike it's happened um, specifically, where you can bet the value of these items and then you get a return based on whether that team wins or loses. There've been betting scandals that have happened in Counter-Strike and for regulators, they're just like, what? So what, what the shit is happening? What? how did this guy win a hundred thousand dollars like how there is there was no understanding like they created this marketplace that um allowed betting to happen obviously underage and on completely lacking any regulation so it's got to the point where you know fans of a specific team or player or you know um a particular organization will send like death threats and threatening messages to players when they lose games to say like you made me lose you know five thousand dollars worth of skins that i just bet on this game um and it's gotten like it, some of these players get sick like i've read some of these messages i've um worked at teams and worked with teams where i've been you know some of these messages and they are like they're like borderline you would some people are seeking protection. Like some of these are reported to the in the US, are reported to the FBI. Like they're like, I'll come to your house and burn it down, kind of thing, because you threw this game. 
that's a thing, you know? So, um, yeah, there is a fear associated with this kind of like innovative, you know, in-game kind of marketplace that is assigned value to things that people didn't know had value until they assigned them, right? Um, and naturally, because if a game is free to play to begin with, there's no initial, you know, kind of hurdle for them to get into the game. Um, so as, as for a parent, you would have no idea that this person has, you know, the equivalent of $10,000 in currency in their game um, and is basically betting. Um, and, you know, um, all that stuff is happening. Um, and it, it's a big, there's, there's even, there are, there are esport integrity coalitions that have been set up. There are, you know, so people are trying to do things about it to fix it. Um, but yes, it's a it's it's a problem. But um, I like to see the that's, silver lining and everything. That's one area that has grown, I guess, with esports. As esports grows massively, obviously, the industry that may well go along with it is the betting industry, and people will yeah. bet on things. Um, obviously, you know, we know that um, professional football, uh, basketball um soccer rugby they're all going to kind of be um regulated in certain ways i mean are there are there challenges do you think with the professional gamers and their integrity when it comes to these things oh yeah big time big time remember something i think betting is a it's just a natural part of nearly any sports market or for any in, in, in most cases any market like you might be sitting on the couch and you're on the phone with a friend and you're like I bet it's going to rain. You know, like it's just a, yeah. it's just a thing that we do, right? It's a human, you know, condition. It's just how we interact with each other. We like to, we like to try to predict the future, right? Um, you know, we don't know much about it. Um, <laughs> I mean, what would you have gotten on odds if somebody had predicted the global pandemic? But, um, you know, like this betting is just bound to, is bound to um, kind of exist. And so in the gaming space, at least esports is going to propel this. Um, you know, there have been people who've tried to step in and navigate through this um, and kind of deal with everything that's going on. But things are changing so fast, man. You know, this isn't something that's had time to just, you know, um, grow. And like, it. I think there was a report that put out um, a estimated sort of gambling uh, volume for esports being like a billion plus in like a year. Like it's, you know, that's where we're at with the industry, and that was like two years ago, I think. Um, so yeah, you'd assume, I, you'd assume, especially as, as sports stop that grows as well. That's gone up, I imagine, considerably. And so, a lot of traditional bookmakers of, if not. If they haven't done it years ago, they have started to pivot toward esports because, you know, easy to, it's so seemingly easy to ensure that there's no, um, you know, delays in games. And, you know, I, the problem with all of this or the challenge is that, remember, esports doesn't have the same money attached to it when it comes to compensation for the players on these teams. So you could be like because you're essentially playing from home, um, you could be paid. Some guy could be making a hundred bucks a month, and another guy could be making a hundred thousand. Um, and so there's an incentive to 
you know, throw games. Um, and that has happened. So I think, you know, esports is really, it's really challenging to regulate this kind of stuff in this space. Because remember, if I asked you today who owns football, like who owns football? Like own We do, like who the owns, people. Right? The people own football, right? That's just it. Like nobody really owns a sport. But in esports, each game is an esport, right? So like Counter-Strike is owned by the publisher of the game, Valve. Um, Call of Duty is owned by Activision Blizzard. The sport is owned by a private publisher, right? So if you wanted to regulate betting within each of the esports, you're not regulating, like there are perhaps 10 to 15 tier one and two esport titles based you know, on viewership. Um, and you'd have to go to each, it's like regulating 15 sports, you know? Then don't forget, this sport doesn't stay the same. This sport is patched and updated. And like in one week, imagine if I told you that next week, if you went onto the pitch, the the game time was, I don't know, 15 minutes. It's nine, now it's 60 minutes. Or that I told you that the goalpost is now half the size. Like that's what's happening in these competitive games. So you're regulating a market that is moving really, really fast, yeah. you know? So that, that in itself is challenging, right? People are working to figure it out, but it's going to require a lot of people joining hands, you know, to kind of make things work. And remember, this is a young, very young audience. Like a 14-year-old does not understand how to deal or has most 14-year-olds. I'm sure somebody out there is going to, send me a message um those are 14 year olds are much more than me but generally they're not going to understand how to responsibly bet Do you, mm -hmm. you know like that isn't for a lot of adults that's challenging right like full-grown men are still struggling with how to deal with them they're handling their their own bets um a 14 year old is just in a video game is just like if they lose, they want to direct that loss at somebody else. You know, at that age, we don't really, you know, chalk up our losses particularly well, right? Um, we want to point the finger. And so that has its challenges. So you've got to deal with both sides. You've got to deal with the ecosystem in esports, obviously, within the sort of publishers and the teams and the players. And, and then you've also got to find a way to Either you regulate it and young, those under betting age cannot be involved. Um, obviously, that all, that's in, you know, in many places that still happens. And it's hard to, how you make that not, it's all done digitally. How do you enforce that? But you've also then got to figure out how to encourage people or how to create a more like responsible betting uh, environment. And in an unregulated global industry with 10 to 15 different, uh, Let's even say five or six tier one esport uh, games or esports. It's a it's a mouthful, man. Um, there's a lot of work to do, right? Yeah, and that's that's why you know level ninety nine is there to solve the problems, right? <laughs> this is where I close out on the sales yeah. pitch. I, yeah. we, we're just watching this stuff. Like when we kicked off, I was like, as I'm going through an elevator pitch, I'm thinking like. 
where we're headed with our work and what we're doing. Um, and it, just like the space, it's changed so much, you know, like we, I've kind of distilled it down into, yeah, we help brands kind of engage, you know, for fear of using a overused word authentically, you know, with this kind of an, this kind of audience. I think that comes more naturally for somebody who's played games a lot and still loves games and is part of those communities. But I, I think, you know, I'm also, whilst we've got a lot of younger guys in the in the company, um, I'm also looking at this as like people who bet and people who play these games in some cases, hundreds of hours a month, you know, like they're a, they're part of that community, right? And I don't want, I would never, I'm not in favor of like policing and censoring. And, you know, um, I I want people to have as much fun with the games they love. Games kind of help you in many ways. They take you away um, from what's happening in the real world, right? They kind of distract you from what's going on. Um, for young, at least for young people, um, they're a great escape, you know? So what I want to, Personally, what I would, would want to avoid is like isolating or alienating people who have, you know, challenges or troubles, things like betting and kind of like perhaps pushing them away from what gaming is about, which is like, you know, it's for like literally gaming kind of, you know, for me growing up here, I've experienced it the most. Um, I could play games with somebody in 10 different countries in the span of like an hour, you know? And I, uh, the only thing that I liked or disliked about them was whether they were better than me, you know? Um, and that's just a, there's a purity in that. Um, like I like the range that comes along with it. I like the emotions that come along with it. I like the fact that it's fairly anonymous. I like, you know, I like all those things are great for young people, I think. Um, so we're still figuring out there's a balance there, right? Like, how do you handle over-policing um, versus like, hey, we still want gaming to be a place where people can express that frustration and that rage that in the real world um, is almost like, very much frowned upon, right? Um, and we're still figuring that stuff out as we go, man. But um, there's a lot of really good people in the space who are working towards it. So we'll uh, we'll take our cues, you know, and uh, grow okay. as we figure things out. Okay. I guess the key, like any industry, the key is education, though, isn't it? And it's being able to communicate yeah. it. So any of the people, whether they are 14-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 40-year-olds, yeah. they're making those decisions and they're considered. Yeah. Without a doubt. The education, <laughs> it isn't much. Like, uh, the space is growing up quick, right? I think it's also like a trial and error thing, you know, where the, if you are in your 30s or 20s or whatever it may be, and you're playing games today competitively, um, you're spending a lot of time on them if you're playing them competitively. You, it really depends on the people in your circle, you know? Um, like if people are, a lot of people now, by the way, a lot of people watch games and don't play them competitively. They just love to, like, you and I might want to watch a, an NBA game or a football game and, um, I don't watch football very much anymore. I, I, I'll tell you before we kicked off. I was born in just by Highbury and I grew up supporting Arsenal. Um, and so I don't watch much football anymore, but I watch, I watch a fair bit of the NBA and I have been for many years. And like, you know, 
tuning into a a game doesn't mean that I go out on the weekend and you know shoot hoops. Like I want to watch the best people play, and that's the same yeah. with games. You know, like they just want to watch people who are really good. So I think it's also the education part comes from like the 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 people they're watching. You know, like what sort of what sort of role models, if you want to call it that, because again, they're young people playing games. Um, and you can't put too much weight on their shoulders, but what kind of, what kind of, you know, I wouldn't say lessons, but what kind of message are they sending to their audiences, you know, um, who, who are very heavily influenced by the things they say and do. Um, yeah. So you can, education, definitely, but it has to come from the right people is what I'm trying yep. to get at, you know, um, rather than just like a, I think young younger people um than you and i are we're fairly tuned they're fairly tuned into the the, the, like the bullshit meter is um oh yeah fairly well tuned so cynical right like it's like you like who's that like that's an immediate react right who are you to tell me this right exactly um this is my experience and my thing um so I think you've got to be really mindful of who's yeah. communi- communicating those messages and like, are they being real with the things they're saying? Because you are dealing with, you know, younger. And um, hey, when was the last time you watched a YouTube ad? Like that's a that's a traditional means of promoting a message for yeah. companies that know they're like, let me throw out a YouTube ad, but. I'd, I, I use YouTube premium and I know many people who the moment they can click skip on an ad, they do it, you know? Yep. Um, like they're not waiting to watch that ad. They're not going, you know what? <laughs> this this ad is what I'm here for. Um, yeah, this is what I've been right, waiting for. Right. Like I mean, this is it. Um, it's the same thing with, you know, that's the behavior of a lot of the community that you want, people that you want to send this messaging to. You've got to be mindful that they're going to, they want to skip ad, you know? Yeah. If you send something their way and it sounds a bit off, they're going to skip ad. They're yeah, yeah, yeah. Out, right? It needs to be authentic, so. doesn't it?